right? It's weird to do it with three people. <laughs> We've done it with three people. But not in the same room. Welcome to Two Girls and a Grape, where we attempt to learn about wine one bottle at a time. I'm Anne, and I have just entered my Jesus year. Hope you're ready for me to turn water into wine. Wow, that's that's intense. <laughs> oh, I don't know how we can top that. Okay, well, um, I'm Drea, and I actually think I may be a secret New Yorker, because guess what, everyone? We are recording live from New York. It's like Saturday Night Live, except it's not. I am here with my beloved co-host, Anne, and we have a very special guest this episode. I would like to introduce everyone to the other Anne of my life, <laughs> Anne Estrada. Welcome to Two Girls and a Grape. Grazie. Uh, tell us about yourself and who you are and what we do, or what you do. <laughs> Loaded question. <laughs> I lived in California, Southern California, my whole life. Um, got into the wine biz very early. Like, was in restaurants, supporting myself through college. Very early when I started into wine education through restaurants was like, where I was just so um, fascinated by initially, like, why grapes tasted different from different places. Just a very, like, humble beginning of wanting to understand my grandfather had property in Napa in the early 80s. He raised horses. So he actually oh, wow. went from Temecula to Napa in the mid-80s. So I was always going up to visit him. And then kind of got the wine bug. And every single year for my birthday when I was a late teenager to my early 20s, always did a pilgrimage up to Napa to see him. So between my like restaurant education and going up to see Grandpa... I just got really interested in what made wine interesting. I was also an art history major. So for me, the art of wine really kind of stood out to me. And I was just a goner after that. So I became a wine director fairly early. I kind of just right place, right time with the company I was working with when I was in college, which was a seafood restaurant in San Diego that had two parts to it. It had a casual restaurant and a fine dining element. So I was doing both programs. So I was doing lots of education, lots of buying and learning a ton. And it was fantastic. And then over the years went from, like kind of moved up through the echelon of F&B and went from like kind of more hardcore management into luxury hotels. And I started moving away from wine, which made me sad. So in 2016, after working a really great stint at a beautiful hotel in Rancho Bernardo, I just realized I missed working more closely with wine and winemakers, so I quit. Um, at that point, too, I just moved to South Park, San Diego. Started going to the Rose a bunch, which is an amazing little natural wine bar, one of the pioneers of natural wine in San Diego. And that's how Anne and I met. I mean, that's our love story. That's where we in love. <laughs> I just started going to drink wine at the bar, like... And, you know, as much, you know, I 
was a sommelier. I, I, I thought I had known a lot about wine, but I actually didn't know much about natural wine back then. And through the rose, I started to taste more natural wines and then kind of found a job through them. And I started working for Amy Atwood Selections, who is an amazing distributor in through LA and California and they needed representation in the San Diego market. And I was like, well, I've got 15 years of experience in Southern California. Like I want to help open up this niche of beautiful wine. So I did that for three years, which was incredible, challenging, but super remarkable. Um, the people that I got to work with, um, me and the owner of the Rose and Vino Carta, along with Tammy Wong and Katie Fox, we established Nat Diego. So we were the first natural wine festival in San Diego running from, I believe like 2018 and on. So it was just a really amazing time to bring this amazing evolution of wine to this market. And then 2019, I fell in love and moved to New York and was lucky enough to get a place on the team of Jenny and Francois, Jenny Lefcourt, who is a pioneer of natural wine in New York City, 22 years and strong. And she was lovely enough to let me be part of her team. So I've been working with her on the East Coast for two years now, and it's incredible. I feel really lucky that we get to be here with you today, and I feel really lucky that Drea has brought these two Ands together. And when ands collide. <laughs> this is like my dream, everyone. Like, I am living my dream in this moment. I mean, I was also going to say, I feel like Drea is really lucky to have two such amazing well, I mean, ands in her she, life. She is. Like, she's not taking it for granted. So we always start our episodes with something to cheers to and something to jeers to. And since you are our guest, we won't make you go first. Okay, cool. Oh, okay. Uh, but, maybe we'll make, <laughs> but maybe we'll make Drea go first. Sure. I mean, I'm ready. I did my notes. I read the episode. You're all welcome. <laughs> so my first cheers is to New York. I just, I, so it's been a while since I've been back. It's been a hot minute since she's been on a plane and in an airport. And there was something oddly comforting about flying in to JFK where I've spent so much of my time over the years either stopping to be here in this amazing city or on my way off to, let's just be honest, Barcelona, because we all know how I feel about mm -hmm. this. Um, so I was saying to Anne last night that um, when we were at dinner, I was like, yeah, I'm walking through JFK and I'm like, oh... I had bourbon and complained about Americans at that bar. And, oh, I've definitely got a little lit over there. Like, there's just a comforting thing to that. Um, so, cheers to New York. I love the energy in the city. It's so good to see some of that really coming back. Um, I love being in close proximity to some of my favorite people in the world. That's been awesome. And... You know what? I've got to give it to New York because they're doing everything right. Yeah. Like, the city was hit so hard. And to see people taking it serious on a level that even in California, we are not seeing. Like, I just feel like New York respects that and I'm here for it. So, uh, so that's my cheers. Cheers. Also related to this trip. Fucking airports, man. Like... <laughs> 
they still suck. And, like, somehow they suck more. Oh, yeah. Are you in a lounge? Okay, you know what, bitch? Yes, we all are. Right. I'm in a lounge. I'm in a lounge. I am in a lounge. It is my one... Is my one sanctuary like we I'm bougie, to, we bougie. Yeah, I don't need to use the shower. I just want to know it's fucking there. You know what I mean? I not that there are showers. Oh there. yeah, Admirals Club has like showers. Like I if know, I, I don't know how I feel. If I wanted to, I could have showered before I got on that plane. If I wanted to, I could have showered as soon as I got off the plane. I don't want to be naked in an airport. I'm, just I'm like, that I'm like, there. I don't care how bougie a lounge is. I still, I still picture a lounge shower being like. <laughs> okay, no. Let me fucking tell you. So I was never so grateful to be naked in an airport until yeah, I've done it. Where is it going? I love everything about the <laughs> until I flew back from fucking Peru. So you go ahead, everyone. You take a fucking motorized canoe from the middle of the goddamn jungle where there are all the things that can kill you. You're convinced that your spouse is going to fall into a river, get destroyed by piranhas, and that's how you're both going to die because you're going to be dumb enough to go in after them. Fly to two different airports. On one flight, you're sitting next to someone who potentially has a baby goat in their carry-on. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Or just it. like a screaming baby, which is... No, it, I'm, it was... Yeah, I'm pretty sure it had four legs. Um, and then wait at the airport in Lima for four hours for your gate to open because American carriers, like, share check-in. You want that shower. You want that shower when you get to the lounge. You want that shower. All right, so um, Anne Cantor... What have you got for our cheers and gear since you didn't like mine? I loved yours. I love yours, I love yours every time. Um, my cheers is obviously to you being here in New York. I feel so lucky to get to see you after only a month apart. Know, this, this feels fucking great. so much better than the last 18 Ugh. months. Um, I'm really excited for all of the crazy shit that we've got planned for your trip. So I'm really, really excited. There's a spreadsheet. And my jeers this week is kind of similar to some of the ones we've had on past episodes. We're finally hitting the point where it's starting to feel like fall in New York a little bit, but it's like right in that in-between stage where it's like you start the morning and you're like, this is fall. I can put on a sweatshirt. I can live my best Princess Diana life. And then you get to like mid-morning at best and all of a sudden you're like I am sweating I am disgusting I need my second shower of the day like I'm not loving I want it to be fully fall I'm not loving the mid-season yeah, what the we're fuck in. is it with this humidity we hot this yeah. is just this is just welcome to New York Ugh, it's a swamp <laughs> so Anna Estrada what are you cheersing interestingly during? my cheers was Thank God it's fall. It's better. It's definitely better. Well, and like humidity has gone down quite a bit. Now, listen, both of you, I don't want to hear it. I am on the trains all goddamn day with my wine bag on my back taking the L. So when y'all talk about humidity, I don't want to hear it because down down in in the subway, it is still July and it's still hateful. So I still take three showers a day, but I, but I am happy for, this is my third fall in New York 
And I, what I do love about New York is like right when the equinox hits, it's literally like cool. Like when you're above ground, <laughs> but like fall hits like in a real, like, it's not like California. It's like, it's fall, but it's not here in New York. It's like, no, we don't go back up. <laughs> like, like we leaves, just keep going to the leaves die. It's going to snow at some point, but like it doesn't go back up. Um, and my cheers is the fucking retrograde. I didn't know until very recently there was like a shadow portion of the retrograde, meaning like the retrograde lasts for, I don't know, like forever, three weeks, but it, but it seems like it happens all the time. And then there's like a shadow part, which is the before part where I'm like, okay, so literally the plants are just always kind of fucked. Yeah, and that tracks. The Friday before the retrograde, um, my computer crashed and one of my flights, like for no reason, just delayed for three hours. And so... I'm like ready as I'm dealing with the non, but also very present still humidity. I would just like my computer to work and for travel to not be fucked anymore. <laughs> Cause like fair. we all need a break. Yeah. Yeah. Reasonable. Period. Request. Yeah. With period. I feel like that's like fair. Mercury, get your shit together. <laughs> all, all those planets be messy bitches. <laughs> I feel like it's basically like planet PMS. Like, I'm over your shit. Yeah. Get it together. Get it together. Your pre-PMS, your post-PMS. Do a cleanse. Do a sound bath. Get on some hormone therapy. Jupiter, can I buy you some fucking sage? Yeah. Like, sage yourself. Sage me. Shit out there. We have, like, 13 planets. Can we just, like, get together and, like, figure out how this can work better for all of us? So for our shenanigans this episode, I thought that in honor of this historic meeting of the Anns... That we would play a little and trivia. It's it's not really trivia. I realized later that that's like a stupid word for what we're going to do. It's more of like getting to know your ands. Okay, so we're going to play a little game and see how similar you two actually are. I mean, we already know that we like space shit. So I think at this point, we might be just counterpoints to each other. And Fair. we both are friends with Drea. So. Which is basically like space shit. And, and we are both born in October. So it's only going to get deeper and weirder from here. Okay, great. <laughs> I'm, I'm here for the weird. Let's, let's do this. Let's plunge into this. Okay, so first question. Why did your parents name you Anne? So my parents were choosing between two literary names. Like my parents both picked books that they wanted to name their children after. And... The choices were between Scarlett O'Hara from oh. Gone with the Wind. Oh, damn. Yes. Or Anne of Green Gables. Which is much more fitting, I must say. <laughs> I'm really grateful that my dad, <laughs> won, and, dad won. <laughs> and that I am named after Anne of Green Gables. Of course your mom's pick was Scarlett. I love her <laughs> shit. What's also really great now is that she has gone back and reread it and been like, oh, shit. This is real problematic. <laughs> Anne E. I was named after my late grandmother, who oh. I never met, who my mother had a contentious relationship with, but they, um, like, kind of revived before I was born. So oh. I hold the name of a woman I never met, but I've seen pictures of her, and she was Owly as fuck. So I get my owl face from her. You do not have an owl face. Stop it. <laughs> what does an owl face mean to you? Also, owl hey guys, a little bit of a beak. A little bit of always, a beak. So always seeing everything. 
also, I think also this adorable. I would have an yeah. ant thing too. Yeah. I would also be like. You have really big eyes too, yeah. We're out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I really hope one of our listeners is a psychiatrist because I'm going <laughs> to fucking need it by the time this is over. All right. Question two What was your childhood nickname? I didn't have much of a childhood nickname. Um, I was pretty much Anne all the time. I was very rarely called Annie by like a couple of uncles, a couple of friends, like people who I felt like, oh yeah, I'm close enough to you and you're fun enough that like, yeah, you can call me Annie. But basically everyone else, it was just, just Anne. I had the same. I had a cousin, Annie, who was older than me, so... That complicates things. And I actually, when I was younger, I I thought my name was so old-timey. Like, yeah. I always felt like I had, like, an old lady name. Um, my mom does call me Annie Banani. That. To this cute. day. I do have friends now that call me, like, some of them call me Annie. And then when I was in high school, a couple of friends called me Anita. Because yeah. I was, like, the only Spanish friend they knew. <laughs> <laughs> but same, like, I've always, like... I've just always been Anne, which I was not okay with until I was, like, an adult. Yeah. Oh, great, because that's a great segue to our next question. We've all done this as children. What did you fantasize about changing your name to? Oh, I see Sly smiles. This is going to be good. So, (laughs) besides thinking about naming me after Scarlett O'Hara... My mom's other backup choice was Raven. Yes, queen! <laughs> With that Raven mane you got, I bitch. Mean, she's, yeah. she, she's so Raven. I know. <laughs> That's so Raven. She's so Raven. So while now I would not change my name to anything else, there was a long part of my life where I was like, man, I could have been Raven. <laughs> That's... Um, and you still... Yeah. The night is young. Yeah. I mean, there's gotta be a courthouse open somewhere. (laughs) This is New York. So they never sleep. When I was born, my mom was Catholic. So in the Catholic Church, you get a middle name and like a secondary name. But I was never baptized Catholic. So on my birth certificate, I'm just Anastrada. I never got either legal middle name. So I got totally gypped pissed like super mad when I was in high school I finally was like and I and at that point I was like I was I was like Anne was so like monosyllabic not what I felt was enough for me at that time so I went to my mom and I was like I want to change my name to Anne Marie Elizabeth Estrada my mom's name is Elizabeth I'm like also, I had a different biological father, so I also had a different last name than my entire family growing up, which is really confusing when you're when you're younger. Right. Yeah, for sure. Whole thing you have to grapple with, whole kind of identity crisis. So I decided to like claim it where I was like, I'm going to have a different last name. I'm going to have a whole different name. <laughs> so I checked with my mom. I was like, I, I loved how Anne-Marie sounded, and Marie is, you know, her... Her sister's name is Mary. It's kind of Catholic. I was like, this would kind of fit with what you should have done when I was a baby. (laughs) And I'll corporate your name too, just to make it legit. My middle name is also Marie. That's kind of the great thing about Anne Marie is like, 
Most people are like, oh my gosh, my middle name's Anne or Marie. I'm like, yeah, I know. All right. So on that same note, let's let's have a little fantasy fun. What is your drag name? So, as you know, I have never had a drag name. You did have a different type of name, though. I did have a roller derby name. I mean, oh. it was a pretty it was pretty close to a drag name. Yeah. So would so, you use that name? No, okay, I would use a different name. Can we tell similar... them what that name is and maybe let yeah, yeah, our yeah. listeners vote? Because yeah, it's yeah. so fucking good. Yep. So and now I've talked it up so much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It needs to happen. So my roller derby name was Anifest Destiny. Like Right. Yeah. Literally throwing our I'm hands dead. up. I'm <laughs> actually going to go into my room and die. And do a death drop, just like all drag like, style. Yeah. But now I feel like we've really built up what I think my drag name would be. Oh, oh. So this is this is different, but this is what I would choose as my roller derby name today if I could choose again. Slash drag name. Slash drag name. Stay focused, bitch. <laughs> Jane Ostentatious. I'm oh. so blown out of the water. I know. I like can't even speak. It's so good. Because... The like, only don't, like, like, listen, don't get into bed with a literary, like, PhD when you're, like, trying to come up with creative shit, because you're yeah, like, just... oh, mine's a little low-grade. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, she's been working overtime. And... <laughs> also, the only thing that Anne loves more than Ice Planet Barbarians is Jane Austen. It's true. So... It's so true. Also, a great pun. Yeah. All right, Anna Strada, I want to hear this lowbrow shit you've got for us. <laughs> Mine's so bad. Drag, drag name, size queen. I'm sure I could have come up with something more creative, but that was the first thing kind of off because it's just the truth. Everything about me is big and in charge. So yeah, size queen I is it. shorter than literally everyone. It's fine. I don't have a complex. Okay. <laughs> and final question, which will segue into the rest of our discussion. If a wine were named after you, what would it be and why? So I gave this one the least amount of thought. Shocking. Really? You don't (laughs) say. (laughs) But so I think I would play this off instead of my first name, Anne. I think I would play this off my last name, Cantor. Fair. So I think that if I was going to have a name, a wine named after me, I would go for Anne Carminary, and just like put the two together. That makes sense. That makes sense. See, you're not impressed, but I accept your approval. God, you're so judgy. What would you want your grape to be? Your varietal to be? Oh, that's what would be the incarnation? Yeah, I feel. I mean, we did the Buzzfeed quiz, but it was bullshit. So I want to hear what you have to say. (laughs) I feel really, uh, I feel really quizzed right now. You know grapes? I think, I mean, like, truly, I do feel like the BuzzFeed quiz was right, and I would go for a Pinot Noir. It's delicate. I'm delicate. It can be finicky. But very nuanced. And comes from all over the world. And it's literally the most expensive wine to buy. It can also be something that you didn't even realize was on the table in front of you. It's delicious. In the Czech Republic. So what about you? What wine would you name after yourself? And what varietal would it be? So, I'm really into space right now. (laughs) I would want my wine to be intergalactic because I see our future in the stars. Um, I actually represent a really amazing winemaker named Christian Binner from Alsace, and he has a great label called Pirouettes, which is a wine school that he teaches 
up-and-coming winemakers how to make beautiful wines. And it's an amazing label that we present. And he just put out a beautiful wine this year called Ultraviolet, which is a co-fermentation of red and white grapes. And I feel like that would be me because it's everything. It's Pinot Noir, it's Pinot Blanc, it's Muscat, it's Groot Stemuner, it's Riesling, it's Ultra. And the iteration of it is so fantastic and nuanced and delicious and fun. You are all those things. And it takes you to space. <laughs> and I want to go to space. And it takes you to space a little bit. I'm sending both of you to space camp. <laughs> <laughs> well, this was great. <laughs> have this wonderful knowledgeable guest with us today and we're so excited uh we really want to take this opportunity to share some information about the business that is wine it's such a huge industry and a huge Mm -hmm. business and most people don't really recognize that because they either go to a restaurant they go to a wine shop and next thing they know wine is on their table when they're out or at home but you play such an instrumental role in distribution and how that happens. So tell us what a day in the life of Anne is like as a wine distributor here in New York City. First of all, I think the best way to frame wine is to pull it into agriculture. So you don't think about buying a bottle of wine as you do oranges. It's the same thing. Meaning... You can go to a grocery store and buy an orange, and it doesn't, it doesn't matter where the origin is from. Or you go to a farmer's market and you know that it's buying from local. The wine industry is exactly the same. There are distributors that sell large quantity mass-produced wines from all over the world that you see regularly in grocery stores and markets all over the country. And then you have wines that are more like specialty, low production that you see only in like smaller wine shops. A huge difference for me when I came to New York was the licensing is different. So in California, you don't have, like in San Diego, you don't have a lot of retail shops on every corner. You have like liquor stores that sell literally like Vodka, tequila, cigarettes. Fireball. Fireball. (laughs) Lottery tickets. Yep. It's not where you buy your fine wine from. No. Um, Way different in New York. The licensing is way different here. So here in New York, you don't go to Trader Joe's and buy your wine. You buy your groceries and you go to a shop to buy your wine. You can buy cider from a grocery store, not wine and liquor. Licensing is super different worked out really well for us with the pandemic because liquor stores were deemed essential. Well, obviously. And can I just share real quick? I actually didn't know why until I went got a COVID test, like August 2020. I was getting my COVID test and the doctor was like, so what do you do? I'm like, well, I'm in the wine business. And my partner worked at a wine shop, so he was deemed essential. Like, wine shops were deemed essential through the pandemic. Yep. Which I thought was just, like, great. And our 
company did really great for the pandemic because everybody was drinking tons of wine. And yeah. I remember just telling the doctor, like, well, my part, you know, like, our job is to put, like, but not like how you, you know, how, I mean, I live in New York, we're like, we did the cheers every day at seven o'clock, you know, like we got hit, like New York was a whole different entity through the pandemic, right? Like we, we went through a thing. So I was telling this doctor, like, but not like how you're essential. And she said to me, she's like, well, no, like wine was essential. Like, I mean, I know, I know, like we all needed to drink, but like you're actually, she's like, actually, no. And I actually knew this fact because my mom works like runs a psychiatric hospital in California. So when you are coming off of alcohol, it is actually more deadly than even heroin, like the withdrawal. She was telling me, she's like, if we had closed liquor stores and wine shops through the pandemic, our hospitals would have instantly been so overrun by people going through withdrawal that we would not have been able to wow. support. And I'm like, I'm today rules. I'm like, I actually knew this medically, but I forgot. Like I just showed up to New York and was like, Oh, I'm so excited that I didn't like close my job. And I like forgot <laughs> this, this very important fact. There's a reason why New York state didn't close the liquor shops. It wasn't to keep them in business. It was because they wanted to keep the hospitals in business. Right. That's crazy. But um, yeah, it does make sense when you think about it. Can you describe for us your day-to-day? What does it... So a lot... So I'll tell you, a lot has changed. So even from going from West Coast to East Coast, the life in the day of a wine rep is you drag a bag, you <laughs> visit wine shops and restaurants, you kind of like do like door-to-door. That's how you kind of create relationships and get your wines in. It wasn't always my favorite way. I always found it kind of not really time efficient, but it's a lot to do with the fact that our industry isn't really, I mean, the restaurant industry is in shambles. This country, I mean, the restaurant industry was built on slavery. It's still built that way. Like people depending on tips, people not making enough money. I will say specifically in New York, our restaurant industry took the biggest hit and no one saved them. And the fact that people can go out to dinner now and get the amazing service that you get in New York, like nobody helped. It was really, really hard. Um, My job changed only in the way that like when I first got here, it was kind of the, you know, you go from place to place to place and, and you drive a bag Well, when the pandemic hit, we all had to do things virtually. We did most of our business online or over the phone. And just to clarify, that bag she's dragging everywhere has sample wine. So bottles of wine that she's pouring out at her different clients so they can taste to decide if they want it on their menu. I mean, you know, when you're dealing with psalms or restaurant managers or beverage program directors. I'm going to give a little bit of illumination. Here's what's fucked up about it. And anyone can fight me on this, but I think everyone in the restaurant industry will agree with this, especially if you're a wine director, a GM, anyone trying to produce a wine program or anyone out there that is a wine rep. We all know this. It doesn't make any sense how we did business before. Like the people that are running wine programs they, they don't have enough time. You're trying to squeeze in time. You're trying to show up and try to get appointments. Like 
like they're usually doing three or four jobs and you're trying to find a way to fit in especially now that and when the pandemic hit all of a sudden we were able to find time to talk to text to email like we and i will say my company who was amazing like as opposed to like having to drag samples everywhere to every account, we sent samples, which is a huge yeah. cost to our company, but it helped retain our customers. Like we just went, we are still going through the hardest time of our proverbial lives still. And what I love about my company is Jenny was like, whatever we have to do for our clients, whether it means sending them samples, whether it means like, we don't care about minimums. Like, most of our restaurants through the pandemic where they only had like two tables outside for seating. Right. Like nobody, you know, like nobody was, could even sit inside for the longest time. They could barely stay alive. Were we not going to give them, you know, if they could only order like six bottles of wine, we're going to be like, sorry, we have a minute. Like our ethos was to support our families, our our clients through this time of like whatever you needed we made sure they got it and we just had to like stick it out with each other i think it really it really changed the way we did business and it really speaks to how important relationships are in the wine business you know you mentioned this earlier it's so important to establish those relationships to really get to know the people that you're you're buying from or you're working with or in any capacity it's but and we're all human like i i had just moved to new york so when i first moved here as the newest rep for jenny and francois i got all the new accounts well guess what all the new accounts were trying to open restaurants through the pandemic and they couldn't Mm -hmm. so we would make contact we would meet they couldn't do anything they're frozen because it was the pandemic but what we did in the interim was we met we tasted we stuck together. Yeah. And now that we're in a new year, now we're seeing the fruition of that. And that's the point. Like, we stuck together. Like, whether they needed samples or tastings or just support or just, like, you know, like, we're going to get through it together. Like, now to see them flourish and, and thriving and, and making those relationships early on of, like, it's a shitty time. Like, whatever you need, like, we'll taste as much as you want to. Like, we have no idea when we're ever going to open. But whenever you do, like, we will be right here for you. And more importantly, I think what was really important for me, like, especially moving here right before the pandemic, I, you know, I, I just moved to a new city. I know a lot of people. I knew my clients. They became great friends of mine. We went through this all together. Like, on top of them seeing their dreams crumble for a minute, like as they're putting down deposits and trying to buy brick and mortar spaces and trying trying to get staff. I'm just there like with the wine, like whatever y'all need. And they became my friends. Like I've cried with people that have lost people through COVID. I mean, to be in the space now and seeing these restaurants open and do well, makes me so happy like this is what i love about new york like we're thriving we stick together we don't ditch each other when it gets shitty we drink wine we cry (laughs) and we figure it out 
And yeah. that's what's amazing about about being here. I know. We're and that's and that's the new day in the life of being a wine rep here. I talk to my friends on the West Coast that work for Permit Lynch, that work for a lot of different distributors, and like we've all changed our strategies as far as like what makes more sense for our business and for our clients and like and it's it's nice to kind of revisit what works for everybody and what's I mean at the end of the day like it's about efficiency like everybody's working everybody's busy like how can we better support each other and and get each other to what our like needs and goals are I don't want to show up on someone's door that like is not ready for me or has the like it's a waste of time Right. I think like, necessarily we've all had to get more efficient through the yeah. pandemic. And, you know, there's been so much m- movement in the wine industry during this time. You're seeing places, a lot of places cut back on lists. You're seeing yeah. a lot of places pick up new wines because maybe they can't get what they were getting before because, you know, supply chains have slowed so much. And you're seeing, let's just be honest, more people drinking. So, you know, the opportunity to make those changes, I think, and to make them in a way that's efficient and good for everyone and kind of the ecosystem of the wine business has been really great to see. Um, I'm really lucky, like, through the pandemic, like, I work for an amazing company. I mean, people sought out Jenny through the, I mean, as natural wine has just picked up and picked up, and Jenny has made such an amazing place for herself here in New York. I mean, she really, truly is, you know, a pioneer here. It was, it's so lovely to work with people that are just so excited about our book and our winemakers and, and what we represent. So that part's been astounding. I just love hearing someone talk about liking their job this is new for me i like it (laughs) well and i think kind of along those lines obviously we're not out of the pandemic yet but i'm curious what as you look at sort of like the future of the wine industry the future of wine in new york what excites you well i'll be honest it's par it's perilous right now um we're still i mean Prior pandemic, we were dealing with tariffs, which were bullshit yeah. because it had nothing to do with their industry. But government certainly All impacted. Motivated. It certainly impacted our industry, so that's off the table for now. But like, it was a scary thing where we were like, "Oh my gosh!" Like this literally has this is about transportation, but they're you know hitting the you know our very small industry. Um, we are also having issues with shipping containers from overseas. Mm-hmm. I believe that, especially with climate change, we are going to see a lot more intrusions and a lot more difficulties. As much as we have winemakers all over the world making beautiful wines for us, we're dealing with a lot of climate change and a lot of not just climate change within the vineyards, but even just the... The, the pecking order, like the utility order of how everything comes to us, like like everything else, it needs to be re-examined. It's archaic and it's going to take a lot of labor, but we're going to have to relook at all parts of our industry because of how unsustainable it is. 
we're always going to we're always going to support our producers and our you know especially our local producers but like everything else in this world we're gonna have to reimagine things probably sooner than later because our set standards are kind of diminishing very quickly yeah and we're gonna have to recalibrate probably sooner than later if we want to stay in the game mm-hmm. yeah that makes sense all right should we do speaking of beautiful lines i want to steal some of yours yeah you should i i was like i was looking at your glass and i was well, like she's gonna need more it was like we had the thai food it was fucking delicious i know so Anne, my new friend yes Anne. i love this so much my intergalactic Anne. <laughs> What what are we drinking tonight? What have you poured oh, for us? I'm so excited. So we have this amazing producer called Barry Sellers that we started representing about two years ago. So Ian and Ken Barry up at Finger Lakes. Um, Ian's a winemaker. He's from upstate. He's done a lot of winemaking domestically on the West Coast and the East Coast. Um, super passionate about... Finger Lakes, Varietals, Seneca Lake. He does like reserve Chardonnay, reserve Riesling, like Vineyard Select. And then he does some really cool pet nats that are like hybrid. Cayuga and Leomelette, which... Speaking our language. Which, which in New York, you know, the hybrids really do really, really well here. But some people don't think they're as marketable. So he's been doing these amazing, like, single vineyard iterations and these, like, really cool bananas that I have sold a shit ton of the last two years. All of a sudden, we get this one in, like, a month ago. It's called Jewels and Binoculars. It's, Which I love. It's I this, love that. It's this non-vintage Riesling, and I was like, what is this magic? So... I called him immediately and I was like, listen, like, I'm obsessed with this wine. I'm going to do a podcast about this wine. Like, give me all the DL on it. Like, what happened? Why is this wine so rad? <laughs> so what happened was him and his neighbor, which is Bell Other Cellars, like, both had some Riesling under fermentation that they hadn't really done anything with. And they were just, like, chatting and they were both like, yeah, we don't really know what to do with it. And, and you know... They had like a Riesling that was under four years of fermentation on leaves and they wanted to do something. Like they wanted to do a project with it. So this is how Jules and Binoculars came to be. So they did a blend of like four-year aged Riesling with some like newer vintage Riesling. Like nothing that Ian had really done before. So if anyone doesn't know what like on leaves means. So on leaves is basically... The wine is not clarified, meaning that after, like, if you if you can picture, like, all the grapes going into, like, a tank and, like, fermenting, then the juice ferments on the leaves, which is, like, the grape skins, the plant matter, the yeast cells, all of it. Like, all the nutritious parts of the wine stays into the juice. So it gives it this incredible texture and kind of tone. And when you drink this wine... It is part that 40 years leaves and it also has some newer vintage in it. Ian is going to do a lot more wines off of this label. Um, I think he's kind of found his niche. So for me, of all the wines that I love for me to bring on like a domestic Riesling. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm crazy about this wine. 
when she told me what we were drinking, I was like, no shit, really? Okay. <laughs> but I, so f full disclosure, we maybe had some of this with our Thai food delivery dinner and Tisha, it's fucking outstanding. But um, I'm looking forward to getting into our, our tasting. I was going to say, let's let's take a look at what's in our glasses. Okay, so um, you're the expert, Anne, so we're going we're gonna to rely on you here. Usually we, what we do is we do color, we do nose, and then we do taste. And we talk about them. Sometimes Anne says that she tastes alcohol. You know, it's, it's a good time. The bar is low. <laughs> we are here so, to learn this is non-vintage which only means because we're incorporating um some older vintages of riesling but if you look at the color of this wine it's still super like star bright meaning like mm -hmm. it doesn't show age it doesn't look like it's got any oxidation it's super like bright yellow um it looks it looks very youthful in the glass for yeah. sure on the nose it's super aromatic. You get tons mm -hmm. of stone fruit, beautiful white pressed flowers, like crushed gardenia, like river mineral stones. Um, oh, that's sexy. I mean, yeah. You want to tuck into the nape of this wine. I am hot and bothered by this. <laughs> <laughs> right, I mean, it's like super perfumey, aromatic. I mean, like, even just in the nose, you're like... No, it's, it's such a beautiful... Okay, and even when you take that whiff, you can tell that this is not purely a young Riesling, that there is a depth and a maturity and a like surprise to nuance. it. Yeah, it's like, and even the nose evolves because you get hit with that fruit and then it's that floral note. And, and a touch of the petrol, like a touch of it. Very like, touch of, and it almost comes across as um, like some woodsiness, like some pine, you know, more of an herbaceousness, I think, too. It surprises you. So should we dig, like, dig into it and pretend it's for the first time? <laughs> I think it will be at this point. What I love most about lime is weight. What do you mean by that? What is so the weight Weight is when it's, like right now, when you're smashing your mouth, it doesn't go away. Mm -hmm. Or you feel like there's almost like a slab of texture still on your tongue that didn't just like dissipate once you swallow. Like it stays on for a while. And it and makes like, you want more. It stays at your door after you said goodbye. And it's like, sure but you're still like sort of looking out the people. And like, you're like still. Like, like, are they still there? Did they look back? Did yeah. they glance back at me? This it's is a sexy ass wine. It's I was like, gonna say this might be the most romantic wine we have had on the podcast. I mean, this is a pretty fucking romantic like scene we've got here. It is a sexy silk scarf on your tongue Ugh, that you're like, girl, babe, where you at? <laughs> and we're talking about recent. I don't. We isn't could no. drink bottles of this. Oh, well, and yeah, I think this really sure. goes back to you know, and and we've talked about this on the podcast before that when you say. Oh, I don't like a certain kind of wine. Oh, I don't like white. I don't like red, whatever. Right. It's like, have you had a kind that will appeal to you? And I think what this wine really shows is even for haters, there's a reason out there for you. Like Can I tell you something too? As, as a, oh, my professional, <laughs> whenever I have made a blanketed statement about like, oh, I hate this kind of wine, I'm always proven wrong. I'm always proven wrong. Like... 
There are so many great expressions and... And Riesling is such a diverse grape. So I've started my wine education, like formal wine education, you know, within the last year. And like, obviously my heart's in the weird stuff. So we get to these types of lessons, like about Chardonnay and Riesling. And I just sort of glaze over. I'm like, ugh, okay. But one of the things that I've learned and that has given me a lot more respect for the grape is that you can do so much with it. You know, there's such a diversity for how you can make wines from from Riesling that this really sort of opened up, I think, my perception to what these wines could be. And then you drink something like this that has that velvety texture, that clear structure, but that delicacy of those stone fruits and flower blossoms. And you're just like, well, holy shit. Okay. A really good friend of mine here in New York, Miguel de Leon, who's the wine director at Pinch, taught me a really great lesson about the whole idea of old rule and new world is debunked. Yeah. First of all, it's based on colonialism, and it doesn't make any sense anymore. This is how Riesling takes right now for a winemaker here in New York who's trying to make the best wine that he can. The old school way, the old world way doesn't exist anymore. Like, you're either making great wine or you're not. And what I love about this is that Ian was like, I was always making these, like, like vineyard-specific wines, and then I didn't. And then I worked with my neighbor, and we decided that we had some great shit going on, and we were going to make something really, really, really fabulous and cool. And I told him, like, I can't wait to bring this to my client. I'm happy to be representing this wine and selling it and having y'all taste it because, yeah, the last thing I would have ever probably brought on a podcast <laughs> about wine was Riesling, but... From the finger legs. <laughs> I love the story. I love the ethos. And I just fucking love the wine. Yeah, it's I think beautiful. it's delicious. <laughs> There's going to be a really great wine festival up in the Hudson Valley the weekend of October 29th. It's called Peripheral. I'll be there with Ian. We also just brought on Hayu from Oregon. They'll oh, be here as well. Nice. So if anybody wants to buy tickets to come see us up in Hudson Valley, October 29th, we will be there. Uh, and I feel like you need to represent two girls in a grape and get to this business. <laughs> so Noted, noted. We'll put, a, we'll put a link in the show notes so Abs- anyone who wants to buy tickets can. And if people are interested in buying this bottle, and by people, I mean, if I am interested in smuggling multiple bottles of this back to San Diego, where can they purchase? And what's the price point, too? Because I think that's the other thing. This is under $25. It's crazy. It's crazy. I'm going to run through. I mean, I have a pretty hearty list, but I will definitely run through where anyone in the New York State area can buy this. Anywhere from Underground Bottle Shop, White Horse, Gowanus, Olivino, Amaro, Wine Therapy in Soho, The Reed, uh, Franklin Wines, White Horse Foragers in Chelsea, Noble Root, Manny's, Esther, Henry's, Atlas, and Dandelion in Greenpoint. So so besides Thai, what would you recommend someone serve this wine with? What's really great about wines like this where they're just really high acid and just super like friendly and approachable and drinkable 
There's not much you can't drink it with. You can drink yes. it with a vegan pizza. You can drink it with um, sushi. Any kind of like spicy curry, veggie, heavy food. This wine has like the weight to where it will stand up to it, something. It, well, yeah, it's conducive to like the creaminess of a curry sometimes, but it has the acid to deal with like spicy. Mm-hmm. I would bring this to any dinner party serving any kind of food because I'm like, even if it didn't really match, maybe like a more fall like, you know, sweet potato kind of situation. This is great aperitif wine. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like mm-hmm. a canapé. Or like an appetizer in this wine, like I would even make this. So during the fall, I like to make um, like chili beans, and I don't use t- a tomato like sauce base. I use pumpkin, and it just gives it a really beautiful, delicate richness. But there's also like the spiciness from the chili and the aromatics from the onions and the garlic. Like this wine would be delicious with that. Well, and I know we haven't talked in this direction, but. As you both know, it was my birthday yesterday. So I would, I mean, I would drink this with a, with a chocolate cupcake. Really? What yeah, would you I, not drink with a chocolate cupcake? Girl, she sent me photos of these cupcakes. But, um, okay, so we we're talking about our tastings and our pairings. Well, so, so food? I mean, I feel like we, there's like very little that I think would be better than what we've had tonight with this wine, Tired, where yeah. we've, we've hung out, we've, we're in Anne's beautiful apartment, we hung out on her patio. With a terrace. Yeah, it's been a great situation, but what would be some other situations where you would want to drink this wine? I mean, truly, I cannot think of a situation that I would not want to drink this wine. Like, yeah. It's I'm imagining it like watching Netflix eating ice cream but i'm also imagining it like if we needed to show off and bring a wine somewhere i would totally bring this wine this is one of those bottles where you maybe have a long day you want something special but you don't necessarily want to break the bank or pull like that 80 dollar pinot off your shelf or whatever this is going to get you where you need to be like you're going to feel special you're going to feel like you treated yourself and it's just such a nice, nice wine. So what about, what book would you recommend with this wine? My author obsession is Adrienne Marie Brown. Um, she does pleasure activism. She does emergent strategy. She's, she is a complete visionary and has changed my life as far as my thoughts about self-activism and and everything so i feel like ambi would really appreciate some beautiful local pretty wine with her emergent strategy book so that's my author for the wine i was thinking i read a book earlier this summer and i think it would fit really nicely with this um It is actually a retelling of Anne of Green Gables, my namesake. Full circle. I love this. (laughs) (laughs) But it's called Anne of Manhattan. It's a romance, but not like a not a a blue dick romance. Oh well, that's Um, unfortunate. (laughs) Not like a a Fifty Shades. Right, not a Fifty Shades romance. But but I'm into perverse. Also, the blue dicks are way better than Fifty Shades. Just so we're clear, I want to clarify that. Also, there needs to be more sex books. 
like sex positive books, right? Well, I mean, I feel like I should also just put a plug in right now for Come As You Are by uh, Amelia Nagoski. Oh, I really thought you were going to be like Ice Planet Barbarians. No, way. I appreciate that. Like, I, I think there needs to be so much more sex positive books. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Like, this wine is very sex positive, I feel like. So, Anne of, Anne of Manhattan, Come As You Are. Either of those would be great. And of my hand. I love that. <laughs> all right, all right. So on, on the sex positive note, I'm going to say um, Three Women, which I think came out 2019, I want to say. And if you haven't read it, read it. It's sort of the sociological look at the sex lives of three very different women. Um, and it was fascinating. So I highly recommend that. But... This wine is romantic. And I, as we're talking about it, I was really thinking about like a book that captured that romance. And I would have to say The English Patient by Michael and Dante. Like, and it's that book is so beautiful and ethereal and dreamlike in a way. Um, and the story is heart wrenching, but is also just so seductive that this wine makes me think of of that novel and it's one of my like i remember it was kind of like the first real i was in high school when i read it the first time English patient? Mm-hmm. and it was the first like real grown-up like sort of love based you know heart-wrenching novel and that i read and i was like Ugh. what about um what music would you play as an accompaniment to this wine so to the Riesling, so recently I've been kind of wanting more upbeat music. I've been really into Dulipa. Mm. I think nice. this wine is beautiful and sensual and upbeat, and I'm really into everything that she does. I have really loved the partnership uh, between Lady Gaga and Tony Bennett. And again, kind of nice. in the like romantic... Romantic, but also I think they just have a really strong friendship that I feel like this wine. And it's iconic. Yeah. yeah. Like, Tony Bennett, and let's be honest, Lady Gaga is literally one of the best vocalists of our time. When Lady Gaga sings, I weep. Florence and the Machine sing. Yeah. Lady Gaga's my jam. As it should be. As it should be. So we've got Tony Bentley, Gaga, Dua Lipa. Um, I'm going to go with a little bit of Childish Gambino. Black, mm. Yeah, Black Pumas. Like, those are the vibes oh. I'm feeling with this wine. Because it's, you know, you think about, like, Childish Gambino, Black Pumas, who are really drawing on that tradition of soul oh, music. So but it's such a fresh modern take on it and that's what this wine reminds me of it's that classic riesling grape but it's completely new and nuanced in a way that was so unexpected so those are my picks now are we now do we get to plan our celebrity dinner party yes please fuck yeah all right who's coming who's coming who's coming to this dinner party you look ready Anne. <laughs> She had notes. We're the, we're the fuck-ups here who did not I have notes. I am giving a shout-out. So, I have a huge celebrity crush here in New York. I'm giving a huge shout-out. Her name is Sophia Rowe. 
She is a local chef. She has an amazing show on Vice TV called Counter Space. She taught me everything about New York. Anyone that's listening to this podcast, follow Sophia Rowe. She's an amazing Brooklyn chef. She's an activist. She's a forager. She's life-changing. It's rad. Oh, nice. Right. Our picks are going to look like shit. <laughs> and <laughs> who's coming to the party? Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> uh, I would want to invite the hosts of the podcast Maintenance Phase, which is Michael Hobbs and Aubrey Gordon. It's a podcast that I have loved this year. I think it's so funny and so smart. Um, they talk about all things related to diet culture and debunking diet culture. I think they're just absolutely brilliant people. And I enjoy Like, I look forward to their podcast every time that it comes out. And I think that this would be absolutely a wine I'd want to share with them. I'm taking notes. <laughs> Still taking Hold on, she got, she got a pen. All right, well, I'm really happy for you two enlightened bitches, <laughs> but um, my celebrity... Is a real celebrity. ...guest is... I mean, I was like, okay, well, what celebrity can I pick that's going to reflect, one, how fun this wine is, how sexy this wine is, and my own New York story slash celebrity sighting. So I'm fucking inviting Jeff Goldblum. And if someone Ugh. does not make out with him while he's there, we are all failures. So for those of you who don't know, I met Jeff Goldblum in New York <laughs> in an elevator at the fucking NBC studio tour because my fucking then boyfriend, now husband, I love you so much, John, got us lost. And he will tell you that Jeff Goldblum saved our marriage. That's a bit dramatic. But not uh, wrong. Yeah, I mean, not wrong. <laughs> I mean, you both know John. You know what this is. So yeah, I mean, like, no like I'm so glad you two are bringing very inspirational, life changing people. I'll be making out with the fly in the corner because nature's gonna find a goddamn way. <laughs> Drip, I'm gonna go ahead and support you. Like I told y'all earlier, and I'm gonna do this Like my kink is <laughs> Earth Girls are easy. If anyone knows that reference, Jeff Goldblum <laughs> in that movie, Blue Fur, Sexy as Fuck Alien. I just want everyone Full to know. Circle. I just want everyone <laughs> to know that I fully support Dre's like this is my kink. Yeah, well, <laughs> we can see if he still has some wardrobe pieces. Yeah, he can bring those <laughs> with. Well, I think this has been a very successful pairing. It's been so fun to be here with you, Anne. You not only represent this wine, you represent many wines. Do you have anything you want to plug? Yeah, and I mean, New York State area, Jenny and Francois. We have amazing literature on our website, but what I ask for everybody is like, drink local and, you know, if you're interested about natural wines and wherever neighborhood you live in, ask your your local wine shop. Get to know them. And from what I know about New Yorkers, like they love nothing more than to know what you want or what you're into. So even if it's a kink. Especially if it's a kink. <laughs> <laughs> 
especially. <laughs> so with that, follow Jenny and Francois, follow Nat Diego, take natural local wines to the people. Um, this has been such a great episode. I love my two ands. If you liked this episode, please make sure to like and subscribe in whatever podcast viewer you use. Five stars is the best rating, just saying. And if you, again, if you're enjoying this, you can always contact us, tell us what you're drinking, what you're into. Follow us at two girls and a grape pod on Instagram. That's two T W O all spelled out girls and a grape pod. And you can also email us at two girls and a grape pod at gmail.com. I know I'm supposed to say the Twitter here, but I'm not going to because it's a lie. Yep. And <laughs> a goddamn liar. <laughs> and uh, until next time. Salud. 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 Salud.